The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen grand is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen grand Dr. grand Dr. Doreen grand Dr. Doreen grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm here. Good morning, Shannon, and good morning, everyone. Good morning, Dr. grand Good. Yes. Good morning to everyone. We're live right now. It is the 1st of February, 2022. We are live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, uh, you know, about 12 other places. We are also going to be available as a podcast later on, a free download of a podcast, wherever you get your podcast. We are the number one rated autism podcast worldwide for the second year in a row. Very proud of that, but that's really thanks to all of you. So we hope that you'll write in, call in. Uh, we're going to make that possible very soon for you to call in. I don't know why I just said that because I'm living in the future. Um, but anyway, write in right now on any of the platforms that you're watching. Hola, buenos dias. And we're saying hello to Amanda uh, with her blue hearts. So, uh, so thrilled to have you here. I was following a chat that you were on uh, uh, last night, Amanda, that we may bring up with Dr. Grand Pichet that was, it was on a different site, but I, I was looking at what people were writing and I saw you there, Amanda, and I was like, okay, this is an interesting conversation. Uh, but good morning to 2008. Uh, we're, we're, we're so happy to have you here with us. So uh, Dr. Grampichet, as we said in the opening, is a true expert in the field of autism. I believe that she is the preeminent expert of our time for autism. And really, what other time is there, I ask you. And she's been working in this field for 40 plus years. I know. It's, I like, have such a hard time saying it because she doesn't look that old. <laughs> she doesn't look like she's 40 plus old. But um, she's been working in the field that long. So uh, we are going to talk about her skincare. One whole show, we're just going to devote to her skincare. But, um, but I want to, the important part is, guys, she's had tons of experience and she's had the right kind of experience. She's been working with individuals from the time they are babies up through senior citizens. She is someone who is famous for talking about looking at the whole individual. I quote her all the time that when she's talking about working with individuals on the spectrum, she says it has to be fair, which I think a lot of people just don't get, Dr. Grampy Shea. So we, I love her. I know you guys love her. 
Um, yeah, no, to have thank you, Jenna. First of all, uh, thank you. You're always so kind to me uh, <laughs> with your wonderful compliments. <laughs> it makes me feel good first thing in the morning. Um, and hi, everyone. It's lovely to have all of you here. And I see that we have Sarah from Dubai. And I think uh, we also have uh, in Mexico, uh, 2008 is in Mexico. I love the fact that we have so many different countries joining us this morning. And I look forward to helping or asking and answering some of the questions that have already come in. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I want to go to a question because somebody wrote in to us over the weekend and, and I, I, I want to cover this. There's actually two that came in over the weekend that I want to cover, but I see you guys are writing in big time. Hi, Sarah from Canada. I'm going to get to your live questions here in just a second. But this first one, my son is eight and I want to know if recovery is still something to hope for. He was diagnosed at two. At, at that time, we were dealing with delayed speech. Six months ago, he started stuttering. Hit, and he's eight now. So his behaviors are up and down. He's gluten-free and dairy-free and has been on a biomedical treatment for three years. Good behavior at school, but aggression towards his younger si sister and sometimes me, this is mom saying this. He wants to play with other kids, but doesn't know how. He is behind academically. He does well and then regresses. Please help. Uh, I wanna meet adults who have recovered to know more of how we get there too. Of course, this brings up the word recovery, Dr. Grampuchet, which is a very volatile term for a lot of people. So maybe if you could take just one second to talk sure. about when Thank you're you, Thank you, Shannon. And honestly, what are you, you know, let's start with about? that. I'm, I'm not one who's going to shy away from the word recovery. I know that there are a lot of people who find the word recovery a little bit offensive because, you know, as, as folks who are on the spectrum themselves, they basically say, Hey, I don't feel like I need to be recovered from anything. And that's very respectable, very understandable. I want to uh, honor that and say, hey, listen, if you don't feel like you need help with anything, that's awesome. That's good, wonderful. I'm so happy that there are people out there who feel that living with autism is, is doable. That only means that the environment and society has changed to the point where we're able to accommodate that, which is, believe me, you guys, wasn't the case 20, 30, 40 years ago, but I'm happy that we are uh, a much more understanding uh, society now. Um, that being said, there are individuals on the spectrum who either themselves or their guardians feel that there is more for them to learn and that if they learn more, they can thrive in their day-to-day -day lives. And that's what, that's what we hope to be able to help those folks with, right? So uh, just like anything else, um, for instance, if I wanna do uh, an exercise regime, I will definitely ask for help from someone because I don't wanna do things that are gonna injure my back or you know things that might not be right for me. And I wanna get the most out of the time that I have, uh, that I'm committing, that I'm dedicating to my to my program, and so uh, you know, I look at treatment for autism towards recovery as that, right? I see it as if you would like guidance and help towards teaching the things that will help your child function more adaptively, more effectively in society, then yes, there are things you can do to achieve that. 
Now, uh, you know, the way I define recovery, Shannon, is everything that is being able to do things at an appropriate age level. Let's say let's, that's the way to look at it. In, in fact, very early on when I started doing therapy, um, you know, whether it was ABA or a, a kind of a multidisciplinary approach to treating a child, my goal was always to get the child to fall in the normal range for his or her age. So a lot of times I would meet a child who is, let's say, four years old, and they're just beginning uh, treatment, and they have a series of symptoms of autism that prevent them from, from reaching their age-appropriate goals. For example, their language functioning might be more like a one or two year level. Uh, their executive functions may be, again, like a one or two year level. Their social skills, which are very dependent on language, may also be delayed. And so I, what I would typically do is I'll look at this individual and I'll gather a list of all the things that where they fall behind their own chronological age. And my goal would be to try to teach them intensively, just like tutoring, and get them to the point where those other skills um, are reaching their age-appropriate, chronological age-appropriate uh, levels, right? And in doing so, uh, while I'm teaching these skills, I'm also working on helping the individual uh, replace some of their challenging behaviors with these more appropriate communication skills. Um, the mom who wrote in mentioned that he this child has good behavior at school, but aggression towards younger sister and sometimes me. Now, things like aggression or tantrums, throwing objects, biting, spitting at people, uh, you name it, these challenging behaviors they are not part of the autism uh, diagnosis. They're not symptoms that are required for a diagnosis of autism. They're often present when uh, someone has autism, but that's only because the person, the individual is having a hard time communicating in more traditional, normal ways. And so they find these challenging behaviors to be a useful way of communicating. So if a child uh, over time realizes that every time I aggress, uh, someone's going to give me what I want, or they're going to give me attention, or I'm going to get access to the object I was fighting for, um, and that's an effective way of communicating, then our kids are intelligent. They will continue to uh, communicate that way, right? But if they learn that uh, you know, aggression towards the younger sister to get an object doesn't work and they're not going to get access to that object by being aggressive but instead they might gain access to the object if they ask nicely then that will become the more appropriate form of communication so that's kind of there's two sides to it or actually there's you know multiple sides to an appropriate effective treatment program the behavioral, the ABA portion has two divisions. One is teaching the child new skills. And then the second portion is making sure that those skills help 
replace some of the more challenging ways that the individual has learned to use, challenging behaviors. And that's really it. So to answer this question, um, recovery is, in my opinion, still possible at the age of eight. It depends on what uh, amount of work is being put in and how many areas need to be caught up, right? It's just like anything else. It's like, if I say, I wanna teach a child to, to improve their math, right? And I'm gonna give them tutoring. If I give them two hours of tutoring a week, they will progress, but are they gonna progress enough to, each their age, to reach their age level, their class level? I don't know, maybe the child requires four hours a week of math tutoring. And that's kind of the same with therapy and ABA treatment in autism. The more you put in, the more you're going to get out of it. And time is, is you know, the, the static factor here. Time is changing, right? We're getting, the child's getting older. And as they're getting older, the issue is, are we teaching the child enough that with the passage of time, their growth, their learning curve is faster than their aging curve? Are they learning, like each year that passes, is the child learning two years worth of information? And if that happens, then eventually their chronological age and their mental age reaches the same point, And that is when they become indistinguishable from peers. I, th I love everything that you said. I think the only thing is, is that um, I don't think that people understand how intensively you need to work to be as successful as possible. And I can only tell you that right after my son was diagnosed with autism, I was at a conference and someone on the stage said, listen, here's the key to everything. If I could tell you right now that um, you're going to be successful, at whatever it is that you want to be successful at, you're going to be successful but for the next two years, you have to work harder than you could ever have imagined in your life. What would, what would that look like? How hard could you work yeah. for the next two years? But I can guarantee you that you're going to be successful. And then they said, so what you should do is go work for two years that hard. And I guarantee you, you'll be in a different place. And, and I, you know, they were talking about business and life and careers. They were not talking about autism, but I took that super personally. And I decided to listen what, to what Dr. Grampichet and the other experts in our life were saying, which was, you know, mm -hmm. let's take this period of time. They were saying two to four years and, and they were even comparing it to, you know, training an Olympic athlete. And they were like, how much time are you willing to put into this? Because the more you double down now, the more successful you're going to consider yourself in two to four years. It was true. And we took it as serious as a heart attack. Yeah. And it, it meant yeah. that we gave up on other things that we were doing. It meant that we didn't buy a house. It meant that I didn't <laughs> take the job that I thought was the job of my dreams. Turned out it wasn't. This was. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like other things reveal themselves to you. But, you know, we said we're going to make this the we're going to make a manifesto. And the thing at the top of the list was Jem getting everything we can possibly do and as many hours and that we're going to learn it. And, and we're just, and, but it had a time limit on it. We said two to four years. I really said two years. It was five, 
but by the time we were at three and I was like, we're not done yet. I was so excited about how much progress we were making. It was nothing for me to double down and go, we're doing this until, you know, we get to the end. And so I, I ask everybody like what, and everybody's circumstances are different. I'm, I don't sit in judgment because different people can do different things, but what can you do? How much time can you spend? How much energy can you devote to it? Um, because your, your child is in a place where he's learning. So how much do you want him to learn? Uh, so, um, I hope, I hope that you'll take Dr. Grant Pichet's, um, message to heart and do as much as possible. I want to switch a little bit, Dr. Grant Pichet. Um, our friend that's in Mexico right now has written in and said that their child is eight. Um, he has been prescribed sertraline, 50 milligrams, half a pill. Um, this is to help with anxiety. He started taking it a week ago. They go on to say that the, the behaviors are still there. He's grinding teeth um, and showing still some pretty intensive signs of anxiety. And they, uh, they're wanting to know your opinion of prescribing. Yeah. Thank you for that question. So sertraline is the chemical name for Zoloft. And Zoloft is a serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, SSRI. And what that means is that uh, this medication, when, when we, in our, in our bodies, in our nerves, all of our neurotransmitters, the way that our nerves, nervous system communicates throughout the body is that each nerve produces a neurotransmitter, a chemical, and then that chemical is taken up by the next nerve cell, right? So each of our cells, this is how they communicate with each other. SSRIs, all they do is they keep that neurotransmitter in the synapse, which is the area between the two nerves, for a longer period of time. So the second nerve has more opportunity to get the serotonin. So they basically increase our serotonin. And when our serotonin levels, which is one of our neurotransmitters, when that increases, we do tend to feel less anxious. So I, yes, I absolutely support SSRI treatments for some of our children, especially I feel, you know, Shannon, I'm very, I very, very strongly feel that a large number of our, of kids and adults uh, who are autistic have uh, anxiety and, and you would, you know, first of all, a lot of the, a lot of society in general is struggling with anxiety and depression at the moment, but I feel that people on the spectrum even more so, and that's only because, uh, you know, they have a harder time understanding what's going on around them. They are more sensitive to stimuli in their environment. Uh, they are often sleep deprived. Um, you know, I, as you know, Shannon, I always say that I feel, I, I try very hard to understand how our, our uh, patients or our children uh, are experiencing the world, right? So I, put, I try very hard to put myself in their shoes. And I remember one time when I was in China, uh, I had not slept. I had very little sleep because of, I was jet lagged. And I couldn't understand what was going on around me at all because the letters are not even in English, like Latin letters, they're you know Chinese letters. You can't read anything. You don't understand the language at all. You can easily get lost. In fact, you know, when you leave your hotel, they give you a little piece of paper to give to the cab driver because 
uh, that nobody speaks English. So they want to make sure you're not going to get lost. So, and, and like, there's lots of noise, there's lots of pollution, there's lots of like overwhelming sensory stimuli um, that I remember, honestly, all I wanted to do was like go back to my room, close all the windows and just calm down. So I completely understand that our uh, people on the spectrum will, uh, in my opinion, have, uh, uh, will experience more anxiety um, and SSRIs are very helpful. The good news is you've only had your child on an SSRI for a week. Typically, it takes three weeks before you see any kind of response with an SSRI medication. So please don't give up. Um, and then the other part of this is that with, uh, with autism, like any many, many other disorders, you... A medication alone is not going to be enough. And you sometimes need the best opportunity is to have medication and therapy. And those two together work very, very well. So with your child, for instance, uh, it would be easy to teach him not to obsess over his therapy swing uh, behaviorally, especially if he has the support of an SSRI medication. He just, he will care a little bit less. Um, so that's kind of where it's at. I think you just need to stay on the SSRI, on the Zoloft. Zoloft is a very light SSRI. And let's see if that helps. If it doesn't help, uh, please don't give up. Go back to the physician and sometimes they need to up the dosage. Sometimes they need to change to another SSRI and then you'll have a very significant effect. We've had a lot of people writing into the chat about medicines that their child is on or that medicines that they're on themselves and how helpful it has been. Um, so I encourage you guys to be looking what some of the other uh, viewers are saying. I, I do wanna uh, cut to some of the questions that came in as a result of what you and I were saying about getting therapy and treatment because we've had several different comments that I wanna address. Uh, Ushalad wrote in and said, beautiful, but sometimes I think things would have been easy if it was solely dependent upon us, uh, but it's so much related to our kids, their mood, their behavior, and their health, and many times our kids don't cooperate. And I wanna talk about that, but I also wanna talk about the fact that um, Sarah wrote in and said, well, I completely agree with you, but I, I don't have access and can't afford hours of ABA and more than an hour of speech a week, and that um, that it seems like to her that autistic adults who have recovered or are indistinguishable from their peers, um, not, all of those, the, not all of the parents uh, can be rich enough to afford ABA. So what are the ways to help our kids? And I really want to address that too, because I want you to know that mm -hmm. I was not capable of paying for a single hour of ABA. Um, my son got intensive ABA and I didn't pay for any of it, but that's because I found smart people to tell me which line to stand in. So I definitely want to talk about that too, because I think that's a valid, I mean, I remember sitting on the outside going, they, they were like, oh, well, it's possible that your kid will be okay if you can do 40 hours of this therapy. And, and then before I even asked how much it, it was, I knew I couldn't afford it. If it was $20, I couldn't have afforded it. So I just thought, well, I'm not going to do that, you know, but then smart people said, oh, here's, here's where you have to go. And it's a little convoluted right now, especially in COVID. But 
What I want people to know, Dr. Grampy Shea, is that people are still figuring it out. You are. And, you want to know and sometimes, Shannon, unfortunately, it it's a little bit harder I than believe, others, I believe right? So, like, I, I, yeah. And I believe that Sarah, who yeah. had yeah. written in, and now is it's also hard. Sarah who wrote earlier and said she's in Canada. And, um, and Sarah, I, it's funny because I just flew in from Canada last oh. night, but. Okay. Canada, unfortunately, is not providing the same level of assistance as some of the states do. So it is very difficult for families there to access quality ABA therapy. Um, and we, we'll talk to that. We'll talk about what, what we, because someone else asked, I think, about what, how do we define quality? And, and we can talk about that. But um, I, you know, it is, you, I think in Canada, it's province by province and there's a fund available. You have to kind of put your child, I'm sure you already have on the wait list. There's definitely not enough funding for the number of children who need services. Um, I will say that there, and, and it's very difficult. And sometimes there are, it's more difficult to get these solutions I can say that I have worked with a lot of families across the world who have not had access to any funding. Um, but, uh, you know, one of, our, one of my early, let's say, recovered kids um, who is currently has, his, has, has gotten his doctorate in robotics and is lecturing across the world and working on building robots that will, that, uh, span the surface of the ocean and tell us kind of what is going on uh, underwater and what types of things there are. I mean, so many incredible things this guy, this uh, this uh, gentleman is doing. Um, and it, what I, he was one of our patients when he was two years old. And mom was just an incredible human being who managed to get so many of her uh, you know, friends at church and neighbors uh, to contribute their time. And she literally had, I don't know, maybe 10 different people coming in and doing two, three, four hours of work a week um, so that the whole thing added up to, let's say, a 40-hour program. Uh, she was trained, her, her the dad was trained, everybody in this child's environment was trained and provided just a couple hours a week of one-to-one -one therapy and they uh, were able to turn things around very significantly for this young man so sometimes it's just that hard um but you know i wish you luck and i hope that you can find resources perhaps people who are willing to help do a little bit more perhaps you can get good school teachers aides uh, you know, people who are willing to just put in the time. Getting the training is not so, it's not as difficult because uh, you, there are many online programs for parents where you can learn for anyone who wants to learn to become a registered behavior technician, for instance. There's online classwork that you can do where you learn all the techniques of ABA and how to teach. And, and that helps, of course. And I, every time I come on here and answer questions, I'm more motivated, Shannon, to uh, write, finish writing this book for parents that kind of helps them with the basics, which we really need to do. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I wanna, I, I've asked Traven if he can find it. We have a link 
we had Dr. Justin Leaf on a couple of weeks ago because his organization has a free RBT training that's available right now for anyone. Um, so you can register and take the free RBT training. And so Trayvon is looking to see if he's got the link to it um, to post for you guys. Um, that RBT training, for those of you who are like, I don't know what that is, RBT is registered behavior technician and it's all the things that you would want someone to know to be working with an individual on the spectrum. Um, so Trayvon's got it up there. It's autismpartnershipfoundation.org. And then there's slash courses slash RBT. But if you go to autismpartnershipfoundation.org, you're gonna be able to have access to it. So you can start by learning the things yourself. But I, I, you know, before we had insurance in the United States, um, there were a bunch of people who just did like what Dr. Grand Pichet said and they went to their church. Or there was one mom who lived in a college town. And so she found a sorority because sororities and fraternities have to have a community project every year in order to have their charter. And she went and found a sorority and said, I would like for you to make my child your community project. And the sorority sisters learned how to do the therapy and she had a team. She didn't pay anybody. Um, there are people who have done it with their local Knights of Columbus or their Lions Club or if you find a certain, like it takes someone who is on fire and a warrior to build a team. I have a dear friend that I went to college with years before my son was ever diagnosed. Her son was diagnosed and she had volunteers coming. She had a sign-up sheet and she had volunteers that would come in and help with her. I was just always in awe of her because I don't know, honestly, you guys, if I could have done that. Um, but I'm telling you that people have found a way. We can talk about all the ways that it's impossible because it is. Let's acknowledge that. It's impossible. And yet people find a way. So um, Jennifer's saying search for grants in your area in North Carolina. We found the Autism Strong Foundation that provided us some grants and events to help the community. And there are others. Um, uh, Parker says, when I had ABA, we had a retired teacher and a college student as my main RBTs. Um, you know, it's just, we have to open yeah. our minds to, if you say to yourself, it's the pack the tartar sauce conversation, Dr. Grand Pichet. It's that whole thing. If you're going after Moby Dick, you got to pack the tartar sauce and you're, I, I'm going to promise you, people are going to tell you, no, that's going to happen. But if you've decided that you're going anyway, if you've already packed the tartar sauce, you will find a different avenue and maybe you'll find way that we don't know and you'll write back in in a year and we'll have you on the show to talk about the way that you found. But if you, if you wanna do this, the, the ways to do it is out there. There is a free way for you to teach yourself and others. You could train a whole team with that free RBT training. Um, it's not gonna be easy. Let's not, let, let's not kid anybody. It's not gonna be easy at all. But let's talk about something else that's super not easy. We did have a parent over the weekend, uh, Dr. Grampichet, write in and said, okay, someone, please help. I just had the most horrifying experience ever with my son who is four and autistic. We are staying in a hotel as we were remodeling our home and our AC heat is currently down and we live in Florida and we are not built for 30 degree weather. I accidentally fell asleep earlier with my son and daughter in the room. She fell asleep as well. And he undid the latch and left. I woke up and he was gone and I went into an immediate panic. I called downstairs. He was there along with about 30 people and two police officers. 
there were a ton of kids with balloons. So now he keeps wanting to go back down there. Is there anything I can buy to keep him in? I have no idea what to do. I put a heavy piece of furniture in front of the door that he somehow can move. He's a huge four-year-old. It was just an overall horrifying experience and I'm open to any suggestions at all. Thank you so much. And she says, I feel like the worst mom in the world right now. And I just am sending her a hug. I'm so glad that it ended the way that it did because, you know, we have certainly had on the show many other instances that didn't end well when a kid elopes. Um, but I share, when, you know, the day that my son eloped, uh, I, I understand the fear and I understand the recriminations for yourself of, I, I, you know, it must be my fault. It's not. Um, because there, I don't know a single person who is able to stay, not even a Navy SEAL can stay awake and alert 24 hours a day. It just isn't possible. So let's, let's all send this parent a hug. Yeah, let's and I want to start with the same way you did, Shannon, and just say, like, I am giving you an air hug here. I, I feel so bad for what you must be feeling. Um, I, it's, there's nothing as terrifying as, you know, suddenly losing contact with your child and not knowing where they are. So uh, please have some empathy for yourself. I, it's just, you know, you went through a traumatic experience. Your child probably did not. Probably they were just going downstairs and wondering what's going on and then found some kids with balloons and so on. So don't, you know, don't blame yourself for this. This kind of thing, it's possible and, and you're only human and, and you're doing as much as you possibly can. It is very difficult. I think there are a number of, and, and they change over time. So I don't know that we have the resources available, you know, like we can list them because some of the ones that we know from the past might have been replaced, but there are a number of different things you can do. First of all, the cheapest one is you could just order on Amazon or go out and buy there are these door guards and it's like an object that's about that big and you just stick it in the door and after you close the door and when if the door opens it's a very loud alarm that goes off and you can they're portable they're small they can't they're not more than like twenty dollars or so and you can use one at your hotel uh, or anywhere else you should have one on every door when you're in your home a lot of people will actually put buzzers on the home so that if the door opens there is also a shrill alarm or a buzzer that indicates someone has come in or is trying to go out. Of course, having, you know, years and years ago, I remember that companies were starting to produce uh, like I, objects that are similar to a watch even that you would put on the child and it has a um, radius so that if the child goes outside of that radius, the um, you will be informed, notified that the child is leaving the safe radius, right? And those are things that are kind of urgent and immediate to do. And then in the long run, uh, elopement is one of the things that a good ABA provider can, can work with, with your child. And essentially it is a, t a process where your child is taught uh, about safety, uh, about staying within sight of a parent, 
Um, and it takes a little bit of work to do, but it is so definitely something that can be done through ADA. So I kind of suggest that you, you know, take care of the urgent needs of, of just safety. And then that buys you some time to get a, uh, an ADA provider to work with your child because elopement is kind of an, uh, you know, just being aware of your own environment and then realizing what safety actually means. It takes a little while to teach that to a child but it certainly is absolutely possible to do. Yeah, I, and just while, we, while you were talking, it occurred to me, if you're in a hotel, hotels often have that hotel lock thing. Even, I think even if you took a strong zip tie and put it through the hotel lock, I'm not saying it would stop him, but it would certainly slow him down. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I would do them all. Do the alarm, I would do the heavy piece of, um, furniture and I would do this zip tie because, you know, but here's the other thing I would do. If it's the balloons that he wants stairs, I would put some balloons in your room. I, I, I'm newly all into balloons. You guys, I've got, I'm, I'm all about the making a balloon arch. I don't know why. I just, it's one of those things I've gotten into recently and I didn't know the balloon arches don't, aren't, they don't make them with any helium and it's a machine that you oh. get costs like $22 on Amazon and you can blow up balloons until the cows come home. Um, it's kind of amazing. And, you know, so maybe, you know, that's the new uh, reward system for him is that, hey, we do something and then you get to blow up two balloons. And, and then we teach him how to tie balloons off. Or maybe we just play like, I, I, you know, I just did an event in December, we did the sensitive Santa. And I sat for a day in a room full of young people, some of them on the spectrum, blowing up balloons with them. And eventually their favorite thing was to blow them up and let them go. Hours of entertainment. Um, so if you're having to entertain him in the room, might, might be a thing. I, I'm um, back, but I'm, so, I see that okay. I'm frozen. Uh, so I'm not sure for a second. I'm here. Okay. All right. I, we thought it was me that was going to be frozen. Okay. Well, another Sarah wrote in and said that she's a mom of twin boys, two and a half years old. They've been doing ABA for over a year because yippee-i-a. Um, and she says the kids are doing really well, verbal, but not yet conversational. And they're contemplating sending them to school. What are the key indicators that this will help them, that will help them to make the decision? They don't want to waste their time um, by sending them to a school if it's not what is appropriate for them at this time. Yeah, so, so school is a very, very important a uh, decision, right? Uh, the reason I say that is not only because you have to uh, find a school that is supportive enough and is going to do all the things that you want them to do for your child when the child is at school, but also because you realize that it, school is... Uh, taking away from all the other time, right? So when your child is in school, those are many hours of the child's day and they better be productive and they better be just fantastic and the best use of time. So um, I, when you're looking at two and a half, honestly, I don't know that I would, if it was me, I would take advantage of the early years as much as possible. And I often put... Uh, school kind of as something that I deal with when the child is five or so because at that point I can't any longer uh, keep them out of school it's kind of like when you do want if you have a good ABA program if you have a lot of hours take advantage of not needing to 
teach academics yet and use that time to teach language and the social skills and all the things that um, you can focus specifically on just early language, um, requesting, uh, labeling objects in their environment, giving eye contact, socializing, taking care of their own daily needs. There's like so many things that I would want to work on before reaching academics. Once school hits, you're, you know, you, you're 30 hours of the child's time is taken for academic uh, things. So honestly, I would delay school as much as possible if you have the resources and if you are able, if it's possible for you to get ABA instead. If not, then obviously keeping your child busy with, with school or anything else is more important than, than, or it's better than not doing anything. So I think it's really, really important to use your time wisely. And that is a uh, child by child kind of decision. So you kind of have to look at your child's needs. And a lot of times, Shannon, people will say, oh, I want my child to socialize. So I want them in school earlier. And I, my response is a child who doesn't have language or is not able to keep up with other children is just not going to learn to socialize just by being put in that environment. Uh, it's, you know, prepare the child for socialization by giving them those, those very important early skills so that when they are integrated into school, they are more able to interact successfully and they don't feel left out. Uh, they don't, you know, they're able to, to grasp what's going on around them better. Yeah. I, uh, you know, my, my mind is full of so many different things here, but I, I want to say this so that everybody's clear. There were so many things that I messed up when my kid was little that I wish I could go back and re redo. I wish I could go back, re-legislate, do all kinds of things. So please don't anybody think that I did it perfectly. There were a couple of things though that I lucked into and a couple of things that I did well with. Um, one of the things that I failed at was I didn't stand in the line where I found out about funding sources. So I was still trying to mm -hmm. work while my kid was still getting therapy and it was, it didn't go well for me. Um, you know, and, and so I do want to say, cause when people were talking about how do you do ABA, how do we afford these things? I do want to say that if you're in California and especially you have twins, yeah. if you happen to be in California, California has a, a program, IHSS, which will pay you to stay home with your kids and help them to do what they need to do. So um, that's not available widely in other states, although it's starting to come more online. But if you could, I mean, you have two kids, and if you could stay home and just focus on them for the next couple of years and, and their ABA programs and their enriched environment, it would be super fantabulous, right? If that's not an option, like it wasn't an option for me, because um, I didn't know about this funding, then you can do other things. But one of the things that I did do right was that somehow, I didn't do it really right, I lucked into it, the gal who lived in the condo across from us was part of a group of moms who homeschooled their older kids and they had younger kids. So they constantly were going and doing things that were just so educationally enriched. They, you know, they would have an activity to go, they wouldn't just go to the park, they would have an activity to go to the park. And they, you know, didn't just go to a museum, they would put together an activity packet to go to the museum with all the kids. And so it was like the most incredible, you know, open air preschool that we could just drop in whenever we wanted to. 
So I, I'll tell you, some of these uh, homeschooling moms like hook up with some of them because I guarantee you that they've got younger kids too and they probably have something fun going on. But, but I'm like Dr. Grampy-Shay, your kids are going to spend a lot of years in school and then you're going to march to whatever the school has going on while you're fighting them for get out know, IEP stuff. And these years, boy, you have this, if they're doing well, you, you have such an opportunity. I, I, would, I would be looking at keeping them in their ABA program at home as well. Just saying. Uh, Dr. Grampy Shea's advice is much more important than mine, but I'm doubling down on it. Uh, okay, so uh, Dr. Grampy Shea is still here with us, although her picture is frozen. Um, yeah. So that's a bummer, um, but... Um, I want to talk a little bit about Renee and Elvira wrote in and said that they were so lucky. I'm so thrilled for you guys that they got a grant from Taka to go see uh, one of the MAPS doctors. Their child is seven. And they want to know, like, what kinds of things would it be helpful for them to have prepared or to talk about with the MAPS doctor? It's a great question. That is a great question, and I'm, uh, that's wonderful that TACA funded that for you. I do want to let our viewers know that um, Autism Care Today, or ACT uh, organization, also does fund uh, these types of things. So please feel free to write to us. I founded Autism Care Today, gosh, I don't know, 15 years ago or more. And we provide grants to families. A lot of the grants that we give are for medical um, uh, evaluations. So when you see the MAPS doctor, uh, they will uh, do a series of tests first to... Sure. ...concerns. He's seven, pre-verbal, has lots of sensory issues, and he's a picky eater. That's, I just wanted you to know that. So go. Great, great, great. So I think if he's, a, you know, you're going to have... <laughs> Lots of different questions to ask, but I think that every MAPS doctor will approach things a little bit differently. They will all tend to start with a series of tests, so blood tests, uh, stool tests sometimes, urine tests, and they will uh, want to be looking at things that are happening biochemically because their goal is to try to help balance your child's biochemical environment. Um, when you have picky eaters, they will be, uh, the doctor will be um, focused on gastrointestinal inflammation. Um, and so they will probably require a stool test so that they can tell you what types of se uh, food sensitivities exist. Uh, what are some of the things that are possibly causing inflammation? Like, for instance, is there yeast? to be dealt with? Is there bacterial overgrowth to be dealt with? And they will go through and kind of look at it as sort of a tune-up, right? And they, what they do is they will make sure that the hardware, you know, the GI tract and uh, the blood chemistry is all working in your child's favor. And I saw uh, one of our questions was talking about, the, the, say, the GAPS diet, which is one of the diets where you're eliminating a lot of different things like sugar and grains and so on. Um, and there are the, the doctor, when they do these tests, they help you identify exactly what are the things that you should try to eliminate from your child's diet. Is it gluten? Is it casein? Is it 
Um, oh, I'm back. That's nice. <laughs> is it? Is it um, all these different things that your child might be reacting to, or what? What are some ways that we can restrict diet in order for your child's inflammation to go down? Those things are super important because they will ultimately lead to. Uh, your child feeling better, sleeping better, and then over time, of course, being more awake, more able to pay attention, uh, and therefore learn better. So I think that's kind of how I look at it with when I work with the MAPS doctors. Um, I'm trying to get the child's uh, medical status stabilized. Now, there are so that the child, once they're stable, so that they're sleeping better, feeling better and able to benefit more from behavioral types of interventions or speech or OT or whatever they might be receiving otherwise. Because realistically, I feel that sometimes our kids are just not feeling good enough to be able to tolerate intensive ABA, right? I mean, a child who's not sleeping, just as an example, sleep alone, one of the most important things uh, or a child who's feeling very anxious and has obsessive compulsive behaviors, you know, how are they expected to receive 20, 30, 40 hours of intensive ABA work every day when they're sleep deprived or when they have stomach uh, pain or, you know, whatever else it is, when, when their diet and their biochemistry is making them feel a little cloudy so those things have to be fixed. And I think that contributes very significantly to the outcome, which is kind of how the child is actually feeling. Now they're learning better and overall things will do better. So, you know, you can just, you don't have to ask specific questions. You just make sure to tell the doctor uh, the things that concern you, such as, you know, the dietary issues or uh, whether or not your child is sleeping, uh, their sensory issues. Those are important things to bring up. And then the physician will know what areas to focus on. I, thank you for mentioning the, the comment that came in about diet and gaps. We've had a lot of people write in about diet and gaps, but there's one thing here in particular that I want to address that uh, mom says that, you know, she really believes in dietary intervention and how important it is, but that dad feels like it's a punishment to the child because of restrictions. And I, and I understand, you know, she's talking about the gap set, which is pretty restrictive, but it's not restrictive forever, but it's pretty restrictive. Yeah. Um, I don't want to hear from you, Dr. Grampuche, but I also want to say that, you know, we, my son was on a gluten-free casein-free diet starting when he was two and a half. And then we, then we went on a specific carbohydrate diet for a period of time yeah. and, and he on a modified fine gold. And, uh, we never did gaps with him. We did gaps with me because I was having stomach issues. Um, but I, my mother would just rail at me and she would come and visit and she would go, is this child never going to get to have a jelly bean? Is he never going to enjoy the, the joy of ice cream? And I tried saying all kinds of things to her, but then finally I said to her, is that what you want for him? You want for him, that's, that's your be all end all. You want him to have a jelly bean and an ice cream. Let's go right now and you can feed him ice cream and a jelly bean, mom. I just want you to know that his ability to communicate will be hampered for the next two days to two weeks. And you won't, he, he, he won't be the child that you're seeing right now. He's going to have tantrums and he's not going to be able to connect with you. But if you, if what you really want is for him to have the jelly bean and ice cream, if that's what's important to you, let's go do it. And she said, really? He'll have difficulty talking? And I said, yeah. I mean, I've seen it. 
But if you need to see it, if, if you don't believe me, shall we do it? Shall we go? Let's go try that with him. And she said, no, why would I ever want to do that? And she said, so by yeah. not giving that, you're letting him have the rest of his life. And I said, yes. And she said, okay, I want to learn everything. And she got on yeah. board. She stopped yeah. with the, you're punishing him. And by the way, my child has ice cream all the time now. He has a wonderful, um, you know, coconut ice cream that has no dairy, has no sugar in it. It has fruit in it. And he's as happy as a clam. Yeah. Uh, and in college and doesn't need any other supports and picks out his own ice cream. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like we chose right. But I understand people. My mother was like, well, I was putting it through my filter. If I was told I could never have a jelly bean or an ice cream and, and, and what that would feel like to me. I think we have to acknowledge that people have issues with food themselves that have nothing to do with what you're trying to do for your child. Yeah, like definitely I true, Jan. Absolutely right. And I think we all need to recognize that food is a reinforcer and chocolate and, and ice cream and sweets, think of them as short-term reinforcers <clears throat> and, and, you know, other things like mental clarity and the ability to be awake and learn as long-term things that we're trying to go. So it's kind of like, you know, you give the child ice cream, he might receive a certain um, joy from it at that moment because his taste, his sweet taste buds are, uh, are uh, rewarded, let's say. But at the same time, your child's going to probably, or a lot of our kids experience bloating, uh, indigestion, uh, reflux, uh, you know, all kinds of symptoms of irritable bowel. Sometimes our kids have diarrhea, you know, five, 10 times a day. So those are not rewarding. So whereas the food might for a moment uh, be enjoyable and uh, two hours later the child is struggling and even if they're not experiencing those very overt signs of gastrointestinal distress the there's no question now that certain types of foods for, in our environment not just for kids on the spectrum but overall are the food in our environment unfortunately has such a high level of toxicity and is so, I mean, I get very passionate, as you know, Shannon, talking about the food source in our country and in many other countries now uh, being completely packed with pesticides and also genetically modified so that, you know, you're not really receiving nutrition from these types of foods. And the fact that the whole world is going back to organic foods and plant-based foods is a wonderful thing. Um, and I know that it's, it's tough initially because you have a young child and believe me, I spoiled my kids too when they were young. Um, but at the same time, you get to a point where health uh, is, is the goal, right? And with health in mind, you have to find other short-term reinforcers like uh, social time, toys, activities, whatever else might be that is not harmful at the same time to the child. And I know, it, you know, there's no, it's a primary, right? Food is a primary reinforcer. So it's hard to replace it with other things. But I want to tell you something, because I myself, 18 days ago, started a diet that's very similar to the GAPS diet. Um, it's not as restricted because it doesn't eliminate starchy vegetables, but it is pretty close in the sense that there's no grains, no dairy at all. 
um, and no processed foods at all. So, I mean, it's the whole 30 for those of you guys who know what that is. So, you know, on my diet right now for the past two and a half weeks or so is restricted to just um, mostly, of course, meats, uh, but, uh, and just vegetables and fruits, right? And I will tell you that I hardly ever enjoyed uh, certain fruits before this diet and just two weeks into it the taste of oranges for instance is like it's more sweet than than ice cream so your taste buds change when you're on these diets and you begin to appreciate natural sugars our kids too and you appreciate them because you you sense them more and now my body is adjusting and i can't i've never felt more awake than on this diet I, I mean they say you're not supposed to stay on these diets for very long extended periods of time but I feel like I could stay on this diet forever because it just makes me in the long term feel so much better so just keep that in mind when you're doing these restrictive diets for your children they overall feel better I'm definitely sleeping better as well so these are important things and Parker wants to remind us that diet is not one size fits all. Thank you, Parker. I always appreciate that. And that's one of the reasons for going to one of the MAPS doctors because they can. there are so many diets that are out there. They're not one size fits all. And the MAPS doctor might be able to look at your tests and say, this diet over this diet. They want to know if you, if you have any recommendations for MAPS doctors that you like, Dr. Grampy-Shay, and if you, are seeing, if you are seeing or taking new patients. I love a lot of the MAPS diets, uh, uh, doctors. Uh, Dr. Rosignol, obviously, in Orange County, is the one that oversees all of the MAPS programs. So he's a great doctor. In Orange, this is in the Orange County area of, of California or Los Angeles, southern, uh, south of Los Angeles, between LA and, and San Diego. Um, I really like him, and there are many other doctors who work in that area. I think Dr. Sears is back. There's a lot of good doctors in that region. On the East Coast, my favorite doctor is Dr. Uh, Berger. Um, he's a great doctor. Um, Dr. Levinson is in Florida. There are a lot of really good MAPS physicians. Um, and in order to become a MAPS doctor, you basically have to go through a series of trainings um, so that you're familiar with all of these procedures. So um, there you go. There's a lot to choose from. There are many on there as well over the last few years who I haven't met personally, so I'm sure they're also very good. Um, I, as far as me, I would love to take patients. I'm kind of getting a little overwhelmed right now because I'm trying very hard to write, as you know, Shannon, and I'm trying to manage my time better so that I can write some books that will help lots and lots of families. Um, but, you know, I do take cases mostly when it's a difficult situation where nobody can figure things out or they don't know if the child has plateaued and somebody needs uh, help figuring out what to do to get the child learning again. The, or, or if it's a child in a state where they have a two-year wait list for diagnosis. I do a lot of diagnostics still, those types of things. Wonderful. Um, we're getting close. Oh, we're at the end. But I do want to say there have been a lot of questions about what's quality ABA. Uh, we've written something. I am going to get it to you. I keep saying that, but I am going to get it to you. And um, Jasper wanted to know just very quickly, does ABA work when there is a dual diagnosis of pathological demand avoidance? His daughter is eight 
excuse me, nine. Uh, and they want to know, is it too late for ABA? They are in Canada and they cite that the conservative government has frozen funding, but just poorly, will it work with pathological demand avoidance yeah. and nine too late? Yeah, no, you can't. Uh, ABA does work. And like anything else, you know, a label uh, like autism or, or demand avoidance uh, is just a label. And if you think about the fact that with ABA, your goal is to teach the individual, the child, to use communication, uh, appropriate ways of communication to interact as opposed to avoiding demands by doing challenging behaviors, um, it is very possible for the child to learn that, definitely. Uh, I mean, a child can continue to avoid demands by using their language. And that's one of the things that, for instance, ABA will teach the child um, how to, we all, we all, to some extent, avoid demands. Think about it, right? Uh, kids who want to, you know, we make excuses for all kinds of stuff, but we use our language. We don't use challenging behavior. Um, that being said, I feel that every child will accept demands as long as they feel there's adequate reinforcement once they have uh, abided by the demand. So we all avoid demands when we feel like there's no reward in it for us. So I would suggest that you really kind of look at what are the things that are reinforcing for your child and put all of those in the child's environment when they do comply with the demands. There we go. I want to thank everybody for being here. I want to give a special shout out to Amanda. I want to thank her for putting up the link to the red big red safety box which is available for you guys it's a free of charge toolkit if you have a child that's eloping i'd forgotten about that thank you amanda and the link is in the the comments on facebook so or you can just google the big red safety box it is a free toolkit for you to help you if your child is leaving wherever you are and you're afraid um, please make sure that everybody gets that. Thank you for Amanda for all your helpful comments and thank you all of you. I know we didn't get to like half of the questions, uh, but please join us uh, tomorrow and next week we'll continue the conversation. Dr. Grant Fichet, uh, thank you so much. I love and adore you. You're amazing as <laughs> thank always. Uh, thank you so much everyone. It's always fun answering questions. I always worry that we don't have enough time to cover everybody's questions. But can we say that Dr. Grambichet will be continuing the conversation on TikTok. If your question did not get answered, write to her at Ask Dr. Doreen on TikTok. Get in front of her face and she will respond back to you in a video and message. So that's a great way to connect with her. I want to say that tomorrow on the show, we have an amazing gentleman who's going to be talking about supports for teens and adults on the autism spectrum. And then on Thursday uh, with Nancy uh, Allspaugh Jackson for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, we've got an amazing mom of an adult son for our autism family portraits and a lot of in the news to cover. So that's going to be a pretty exciting show as well. So join us tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Bye, everyone.